Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, it's been good so far this morning, y'all. It, it has been a, an incredible Sunday. Uh, 25 years in the same congregation. I mean, 25, that's incredible. Just incredible. I've only been here for two years, and I can tell you this, uh, in the short two years that I've been here, I have learned so much from the man who we are rightfully honoring this morning. He has taught me so much, and I'm, I'm so grateful for him. And 25 years of faithfully preaching God's word to God's people, and so true to his ministry, um, this Sunday is gonna be the exact same thing. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 13. Uh, it should be about the exact middle of your Bible. And this morning, uh, we're gonna be continuing a sermon series that we've called, Hey God, Where Are You? We've been asking uh, some, some rather hard, rather difficult questions. Questions like, hey God, where are you when I fail? Hey God, where are you when I'm experiencing chaos? Hey God, where are you when I doubt? And this morning, what we're going to be looking at, we're gonna be asking the question, hey God, where are you in my pain? 25 years of anniversary celebration with Gary and we're preaching on pain this morning. I'm just gonna leave that right where it is. Um, but you know, with the preaching calendar, uh, we schedule these things a pretty good ways out. And so at the time, when we're making the preaching calendar, you really don't know uh, what is gonna be happening in your life when you actually get to preach the message that you're assigned. And, and y'all, I'll be honest, when I was assigned this message a while ago, I had no idea what was gonna be going on in, in my life uh, when I actually preached this message. But I'll just tell you freely, um, this has kind of been a season of pain for me. I've been walking through some, some pain. Um, my uncle died a few weeks ago. Um, did the funeral for my aunt yesterday uh, who passed away of cancer. Um, Mother-in-law's battling cancer, getting treatments. There's church members and friends who are, who are going through some heavy stuff. I'm just walking through some pain right now. And so what I thought we could do this morning um, is to do, quite frankly, what, what Gary has done often with me and with so many of you. Um, I, I wanna take the priest collar off this morning. I just wanna talk to you for a minute. I just kind of want to show you what the Lord's been teaching me uh, and how he's been helping me process my pain because my bet is that every one of us in here is going through some pain right now. And my hope this morning is that what we're gonna be talking about here in Psalm 13, how it's helped me process this pain, my hope is that it can help you process this pain. So let me, let me pray for us and then we'll get after it in Psalm 13 together. Father, we, we need your spirit to speak through your word, to be transformed and, and to have our lives change. And so that's what we're asking. Lord, your people don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would not uh, allow any of my insufficiencies uh, to block the words that uh, are, are holy, right, and true and transform people's lives. Uh, may, us be, may we be changed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up watching college football. Um, when I'm from in Florida, 
We really didn't have an NFL team. And so Saturdays were a really big deal for us. Uh, everything happened on Saturday. And uh, growing up, there's this coach that I really admired. But, but he coached in this, this sinful and, and, and wretched, evil place um, called the University of Alabama. And, um, but I, his name was Nick Saban. And uh, I, even though I am not rolling with the tide by any means, I've got to give respect where respect is due. I mean, this is one of the most successful coaches of really all time. I mean, just success after success after success, SEC championships, national championships, Heisman Trophy winners, coach of the year, so much success. And if you hear him, um, he would always talk about these three words, you know, whether it was in practice to his players, whether it was in a press conference, there was always three words that he would, you would, he would always say, you'd always hear him saying this. He'd say this, he'd say, trust the process. Trust the process. Now, even if it's something that you don't really like about the process, why am I out here at 6 a.m. and it's already 110 and we're doing wind sprints? Trust the process, he said. You know, why are we watching 60 hours of film this week? Why, why am I lining up in the A gap and not the B gap? Trust the process, he said. Why? Because by trusting the process, that's what's going to make you a champion. That's what's going to make you successful. It's trusting the process. Now, I bring up this trusting the process illustration to start us off with because Psalm 13, it's structured around a process, it's an ancient process that's called uh, lament. Maybe you've heard that word lament before. Maybe you haven't. Uh, Webster's is gonna define lament as crying out in pain or grief or wailing to express sorrow. The Bible, though, is gonna have a little different take on, on what lament is. Uh, it's more than just feeling sad. It's more than just uh, the act of crying. Uh, biblical lament, uh, let me define this. Biblical lament is a process, Biblical lament is the process of moving from the pain of this world to the peace of God. Pain to peace. Moving from the, the pain of this world to the peace of God. That's lament. And, and you see these laments all over Psalms. There are 150 Psalms, 42 of them are Psalms of lament. First, it, it, there's always a complaint. What you're gonna find out in, in lament, there's, there's three steps in every single lament. All 42 of them pretty much have these three steps. First, there's a complaint. Then there's an ask. We're asking God to do something about our situation, about our complaint. And then, finally, there's a, there's a conscious decision to trust in God. So you, you complain, you ask, you trust. This is the process that leads from the pain of this world to the peace of God. And I'm just telling you, where I'm at right now, it's trusting this process. It's working this process that's really helping me process some of my own pain. And again, my hope is that it could help you process through some of yours today. So let's get after it. This is uh, Psalm 13. Um, let's talk about this process of lament together, uh, starting in verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted 
over me. So what David is doing here is he's moving in, in the first step of this process from pain to peace. What, what he's doing is complaining. This is the first step to a lament. And I get that, that when we hear that, we hear oh, complain. We're not really supposed to complain. I didn't think we are supposed to do that. And that's fair. But, but I would say that if you read the Psalms and you really read all throughout the Bible, there is a type of, of good and godly complaint that's helpful. It, it's gonna be helpful for you in your pain uh, because it's gonna get you moving in the direction toward the peace of God. Uh, there's a difference between purposeful complaining and purposeless complaining. Purposeful complaining, what that's gonna do, it's gonna lead you toward the peace of God. Purposeless complaining, what that's gonna do is lead to this. That's what purposeless complaining is going to do. <laughs> there is a type of good and godly complaint. There is a type of goodly godly complaint that we're gonna see in scripture. Let, let me tell you what it is and, and that's also why it's important. Godly complaint, this is what it is. It's simply bringing your questions and frustrations to God. That's all it is. Just bringing your questions and frustrations to God. And it's interesting, you read the Psalms and what you see is actually a lot of complaining. You're gonna see complaints that are filled with sorrow, fear, frustration, confusion. And there's a reason for all this complaining because here's what godly complaint does. Godly complaint will actually get you moving in this lament process that leads from the pain of this world to the peace of God. It's gonna actually get you going. So look back at verse one. If you weren't counting, David asked the question, how long, four times in the span of two verses. How long will you forget me, God? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be lonely? How long am I gonna feel this pain? It's just, it's one question after another question after another question after another question. You ever been there? When you've got more questions than you have answers? Some of you left what you thought was a stable home only to come home and find out that your parents were divorcing. You've got more questions than answers. Some of you have gotten a call from a doctor. You've got more questions than answers. Some of you have a child who's in the far country. They're a prodigal. You've got more questions than answers. Some of you are in this infertility journey and, and you're, you're wanting a child and you've got more questions than answers. For some of you, it's not necessarily that you have more questions than answers. It's the fact that the very nature of these how long questions is pretty unsettling. We don't like open-ended frustration. We don't like open-ended confusion. We don't like open-ended pain. So my kids in the car when we're on a trip, like, how long is it gonna be? Are we there yet? How much longer? And as much as you may want God to tell you, he's just not telling you that it's gonna be three more Paw Patrol episodes until you're there. He's just not telling you that. That's why complaint is so hard. Or that's why you know, pain is so hard. That's why these how long questions are so hard. Sometimes the real problem with going through pain is not necessarily the pain itself, it's the psychological fatigue to where you don't know how long it's actually gonna be. Years ago, uh, before 
my oldest son, Luke, was born, um, my wife suffered a miscarriage. I would describe that experience like getting hit with a two by four. Pain that I'd never experienced before just hit me and her out of the blue. So we're wondering, you know, just dealing with that, you know, wondering like, why did this happen? What, what was he or she going to be like? And he's trying to figure out where we go from there. A few years later, Luke was born. A perfect little baby. Ten fingers, ten toes. You know, he's got that new baby smell. There's nothing like the new baby smell. All the BMWs in all the world don't hold a candle to the new baby smell. And we bring this guy home and we're, we're starting to kind of learn about him and, and kind of the wonder of, of who this little precious guy is. You get pregnant again a few years later. And, you know, we find out that uh, it's a boy. We're starting to wonder who this little guy's gonna be. Something goes wrong. I have another miscarriage. Second of three. If the first one felt like a two by four, this one felt like a hot knife slowly going in. Because not only were we dealing with that pain, not only were we dealing with that loss, but we were doing it full well knowing the joy of what it actually means to be a parent. And I remember I was in the hospital parking garage by myself in, in the car. We had taken two cars. Uh, I was in the, the car, silent for a really long time until I just unloaded on God. Where were you? Really? You're gonna go through this again? Are you kidding me right now? I'm working my tail off for you, for your people. I left everything for you. And this is what's gonna happen? Hmm? Yeah, uh, God is love, huh? Yeah, this is love. But I know the plans I have for you, huh? What, why is this happening? How much longer is it gonna be? Let me tell you a little secret about the lament process. One of the most astounding things about being a child of the all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful king of the universe is that he can take our complaints. Why don't we have a kid yet? He can take it. Why did she leave? He can take it. Why did he cheat? He can take it. Why do I feel this way? Why am I still depressed? Why am I sick? Why am I hurting? He can take it. How long is Christmas gonna feel this empty? He can take it. That's what I experienced in the car. Because what will happen so often, and if you've, it's, it's amazing. If you've been in the moment, you know what I'm talking about. What'll happen is that as you're giving your complaints to God, Somehow he supernaturally turns them into comfort. That's what happened to me that day. And it was the first step in a months long, hard journey into the process of moving from the pain of this world to the peace of God. So we complain. We give our questions to God. We give our frustrations to God. 
That's the first step, we complain. No, look what he says in verse three. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So David complains to God. What does he do next? He asks God to do something about it. First we complain. Next we ask God to actually do something about it. Now look back at verse three. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He says, oh Lord, my God. Now, note the intimacy of that phrase. He doesn't say, oh Lord, their God. He doesn't say, oh Lord, a God. He doesn't say, oh Lord, your God. He says, oh Lord, my God. It's like, God, you created the world. You raise up kings. You set down empires. And I got some questions for you. I need to ask you because you're my God. Makes me think of that famous picture of uh, John F. Kennedy and John F. Kennedy Jr. You got JFK who's up there, he's, he's running the country, reading some papers, and you got John Jr. there who's peeking out from under the desk. The whole world knows John F. Kennedy as the President of the United States, symbol of democracy, symbol of freedom. Now we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. You know, there's this titan on the world stage. But the kid peeking out from under the desk just knows him as dad. Dad, I, I know you're busy. Dad, I know you're dealing with some stuff right now. You got this Cuban Missile Crisis going on, but I need a glass of milk. That's the amazing thing about asking in this process of lament. It's, God, I know you're the sovereign Lord over all creation, but I need you to answer me because you're my dad. I mean, what kind of paradox is that? To have the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful king of the universe, and yet that's my God. He's my God. I got some questions for my God, and I'm gonna ask you those questions. And listen, I don't wanna undersell that paradox, by the way. This is a pretty radical way of approaching God. Notice what he says in verse three. He says, consider and answer me. In Hebrew, those are imperatives. Think demands. David is not addressing this in, in some sort of like churchy version of, will thou answer me? Will thou lend an ear to me? No, it's like David is screaming at God. He's saying, consider and answer me. I got some questions and I need some answers right now. Listen, I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but uh, how do I say this? Very godly parents. But mom and dad didn't leave a whole lot of room for me to say, consider and answer me. <laughs> dad said, we're late, get in the car. There was never, son, how do you feel about being on time? It's just not how we rolled. And yet, if I'm honest with myself, I think I actually take that paradigm into my relationship with God. Because how often do I come to the Psalms, like Psalm 13, and I see, consider and answer me. Or I see Psalm 3, break the teeth of the wicked. And I'm like, whoa, dude, rein it in a little bit. David comes to God with some pretty raw and unfiltered emotions. And you know what God says about David? This is a man after my own heart. 
I think what God's saying about David is when me and David talk, he doesn't give me cliches. He doesn't give me Christianese. He just gives me his raw, unfiltered emotions. And I don't know when it happened, but at some point in modern church history, it seems like we started to suppress feeling, suppress emotion, almost like stoicism and a stiff upper lip was marks of spiritual maturity. That is not Psalm 13. That is not a psalm of lament. That is not working the process that leads from the pain of this world to the peace of God. That's not it. We complain and then we ask. If I could kind of summarize what it is that we're doing here in these first two steps, what we're doing is we're bringing our feelings to God. We're bringing our feelings to him because he can take it. Let's go home on verse five. Verse five, David says this, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the final step of lament. It's to consciously trust in God. We remember what lament is? It's this process that moves us from the pain of this world to the peace of God. It's this journey that God takes us on from complaining to him to asking him to do something about it to finally we're gonna make a conscious decision to trust in who God is and what he's done for us. It's interesting. In almost all the Psalms of Lament, all 42 of them, there's always some form of this phrase, but I will. I may be going through this thing, but I will trust in you but I will rejoice, but I will sing, but I will make a conscious decision that in the midst of my pain, I will defiantly say, you are God, you are good, you are in control. So how do we do that? How do we move from this step of complaining to asking to trust? How do do we get there? Because that's the ball game. How do we actually make that jump? I I would say it like this. If we're gonna move from the, from the place of pain to the place of peace. Yes and amen. We, we complain to God. We ask of God. We bring our feelings to God. But we also remember the facts we know about God. We also remember the facts that we know again. This, this is so important. Because I've heard it said like this. Your feelings, they make wonderful passengers, but horrible drivers. Your feelings are like my two-year-old. You know, we we need her in the car. She's gonna be strapped in. She's gonna be in her car seat. She's gonna be there. We're not putting her in the trunk. We're for sure not putting her in the driver's seat. No, the same way, you know, your feelings, they need to be there. Wonderful passengers, but they make really, really bad drivers. It's like David has an epiphany here. How long, how long, how long, how long? Consider and answer me. Wait, I remember. What what, what Psalm 13 teaches us is that when we're walking this process from the pain of this world to the peace of God, always trust the facts that you know about God over what you're feeling about your situation. So here's the facts that I know about God. What What am I trusting in here? Look at this. We'll go home on this. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Steadfast love is the Hebrew word hased. It's used over 150 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's God's word for love, affection, kindness toward his people. Uh, it, it's hased. That's the word that's using. This is what I'm trusting in. How, how do we define it? Um, 
The best definition I've, I've ever heard is this. It's from Michael Card. He says, when the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's a said. When the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. Let me see if I can, I can describe it this way. Hased is the prodigal son. Hased is the prodigal son where he says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance now. Cultural equivalent of, Dad, you're dead to me. He goes and wastes it in the far country. He comes back groveling, and what does his dad do? He says, my son is home. Put a ring on him. Put a robe on him. Kill the fat calf and get out the DJ because we're dancing all night and I'm giving him everything. When the person who has no right to expect anything is given everything. That's a said. Well, I could go lay Miz. We could go lay Miz. Jean Valjean comes out of prison and he's, he's sleeping outside. He's cold. He's at the home of the bishop. The bishop comes and gets him. He brings him in. He puts food on the table for him. He gives him a warm bed. And how does he repay the hased of the bishop by stealing all of his silver in the night and running out? Guards catch him. They bring him back. And they say, this criminal here, he says this, you gave it to him. This criminal here says this. <laughs> and the bishop just looks him in the face, very stern look, and he said, but yes, friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? And he takes the silver candlesticks and he gives him more silver to go to his stolen silver and he puts it in his bag and then he looks him in the face and he says, but remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the richness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood. God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. When someone had no right to expect anything, they were given everything. And how could we not see that this all points to the gospel? All this has said, all of this love, kindness, it's just pictures of the gospel. Because in verse six, what the psalmist says is, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How has he dealt bountifully with us? It's in the gospel. Because the gospel says that before your voice ever said, but I will, God said on the cross, but I've already done. That's the gospel, and that's what we celebrate. He says, I will sing of that. The band's gonna come up here, and that's how we're going to end. We're going to sing together. That's the appropriate response of this song. It's a song that we sing that begets more songs. I will sing because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's a thing in physics, um, it's in music, it's, it's, it's called sympathetic resonance. I heard a preacher talk about this once. I, I, I'm not very musically inclined, so I didn't really know what it meant, so I asked Judd about it this week, and Judd kind of explained it to me. Basically, what sympathetic resonance is, is, is that uh, two musical instruments uh, they're affected by sound waves for each other. So essentially, it's this phenomenon in music to where if there's one instrument that's out of tune, 
If it's near an instrument that's in tune, the one that's out of tune will start to be affected by the one that's in tune. Judd even told me this. This is crazy. Like you can put a tuning fork next to an out of tune guitar and just the presence of the tuning fork will cause those strings to vibrate. Here it is. This is the response. When the tuning fork of the gospel is sang by everyone in this room, we start to move toward being more in tune with the peace of God. When we all stand and we sing together, when we're reminded of what has been done for us, we're more in tune with the peace of God. Listen, you may forget everything that I say this morning by Monday, and you probably will. But you'll remember this song that we sing in defiance of our pain. That you will remember. Songs are one of the greatest acts of defiance that we have to pain, to Satan, to darkness, because what it's saying is that this pain will not have the final word in our lives. I will sing. I will complain. I will ask. I will trust. I will sing because he's good. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand. We're going to sing the last two verses of it as well. We omitted those verses in the first go-round because we want to sing these together. There's something about congregational singing to where you're not just singing to God. You're not just singing to your situation. You're singing to each other. And so as an act of defiance to whatever pain you're going through right now, you can do this. You can sing this. So let it rip. Lord, we need you. We need your peace. Thank you for giving this process of lament. Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are. You promised to do that. And in the song as we sing, Lord, indeed haste the day when our face will be sight, when the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, when the trump shall resound and we shall bear our sins no more. Let us praise you in Jesus' name.